Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Merry Christmas once again. Today, I am joined by my colleague, Madeline Osborne. She is the managing editor of The Federalist. Madeline, welcome. It's been too long. Thank you, Emily. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Thank you, Madeline. Uh, we're here actually to talk about the top pop, pop culture stories of 2021, some of which I've forgotten were transpired in this year. <laughs> it seems like they were two years ago. But as always, when we talk about pop culture, we talk about it through the lens of the culture more broadly. Um, and so I hope that uh, people who have much less interest in the Kardashians than we do will stay tuned in. Um, Madeline sort of has an insatiable thirst for Kardashian news. It's almost sad. Sometimes I, I worry about her. But um, I think they were in my dreams last night. I'm not even kidding. This is not something you should (laughs) (laughs) I promise we'll have minimal Kardashian talk today though I just will someday I'm gonna send this podcast to your daughter so that (laughs) she knows about the Kardashians. Um, okay, so Madeline, I think we both agree the top pop culture story of the year was Free Britney, right? Am I wrong? Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, 100%. I think it's definitely the most like shocking, something that gripped more people than who were just Britney Spears fans um, on both left and right sides of the aisle. Um, I think conservatives probably latched onto it for wrong reasons, but that's another rant. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's totally, that's definitely the number one story of pop culture this year. Well, and I think it's, we can divorce it from sort of the policy conversation, some of which I think were, were smart and reasonable, but also just as a human story, it's, it was incredible. And I think this is why people were gripped that one of the most powerful people in the world could be rendered so powerless, like right under the public's nose. Yeah. And there's some very like odd dystopian themes to it as far as like it, it, how she was communicating with fans mm-hmm. through Instagram, um, wearing certain color, you know, they would comment and say, Brittany, wear it, do a video with a yellow shirt. If, if you're being held against your will, not exactly, but it was basically like blink if you're being held hostage type of stuff. And she was doing all this through Instagram. And then it's been even more interesting to see, um, the last maybe month or so since she's been officially freed of the conservatorship, um, how she's just really let loose on Instagram and seems like a totally (laughs) different in type of insane. So it's just all, I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting element to it as well. Well, you bring up a good point, which is that I think there was something about the true crime kind of Mm-hmm. the way that it played out as sort of a true crime mystery um and- right it wasn't just legal stuff you know it was 
it was it went beyond just like a core battle right it was like weirdly interactive if that makes sense um which i think is i mean i think that's one of the biggest trends happening in in culture period right now is is the uh, way that people seem to be grasping for mysteries to solve um well uh, and to that point it was her fans who kind of helped make this happen right and that's what she's been saying and that she's been crediting to it's like the hashtag free britney movement is what really made this happen i think yeah so this is the thing about why britney is the top story of the year top pop culture story of the year in my opinion is that like this is somebody who was on top of the world she was not widely disliked ever by anyone she's not she wasn't polarizing there were things that she did that were polarizing obviously the vmas um you can even go back to like the baby one more time uh video um and so like yes obviously she's done things that were polarizing but both of us were sort of right and squarely in her demographic and um you know it, it was people loved her she was she was like widely beloved even if the parents were like sort of disgruntled in ways that seem quaint now over um maybe some of her public conduct right and i think so it is you would think that we are you know the only people that would care about that story but i think there was really a, a watershed moment this summer that brought it into the mainstream when she gave her court statement basically describing how um you know how her father controlled her and her money and um the really disturbing details about controlling her reproductive rights basically and not and forcing her to have an I iud so that was the moment i think that other people kind of tuned in yeah. and thought okay this is actually insane well and even her mental health i mean she alleged that she was being she was forcibly being given uh you know various different mental health drugs um and yeah it was just like shocking in so many different ways and it continues to be um obviously she's not i mean none of us know her so maybe it's reckless to speculate speculate from the sidelines but her instagram posts do not read like somebody who is fully stable um but there's yeah that's the other thing there's a very hot take in there to be written or argued and i'm I'm not going to be the one to do it, but uh, but you will be the one to, to but, float it, <laughs> but I will float it, which is that like, maybe there's a reason she needed a conservatorship. Like well, there, there's obviously a reason, but I don't think it, I don't think it warranted the choice. Sure. Yeah. Like that's the thing when, when you talking about the court statement is what made me think of that because she was lucid enough to give like a 20 plus minute long, barely coherent statement. Um, and again, like she was being drugged, so it may take some time for her to recover. I mean, she was like, at least she says she was being forced against her will to take, uh, drugs that were, I think maybe, I forget what they were, but they were supposed to be treating her mental health, but she didn't want to be taking them. And that can be a process to get on and off. So maybe we'll see a more stable Brittany in the years to come. I hope so. Oh, one thing I saw, um, looking forward is you may have seen it too on, I think it was on Dumois about uh, that. Supposedly she's working on an album for next year. She's reaching out to, uh, songwriters and so we'll see what happens that's fantastic well so uh, let's wrap this into actually i think another major pop culture story which is 
the return of the aughts. Um, and I don't think the 90s are really going anywhere soon, um, but maybe in the next year or two we'll see the, the 90s trends start to phase out because the, the aughts are apparently back um, as millennials sort of age, younger millennials sort of age into the, the, the nostalgia phase <laughs> of their young lives. Um, and Madeline and I are both, like I guess, younger millennials, so we're, we're there as well. But it seemed as though, and there were a lot of memes making this point, that there was the comeback from Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears and Paris Hilton, Paris. Kim Kardashian, sort of all happening at once, all unfolding in 2021 in major ways. Um, and I think people are just waiting for Amanda Bynes to get her shit together. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, Madeline has a lot to, I think, account for because Paris Hilton <laughs> recently signaled that she wants the uh, the low-rise gene to make a return. Um, it is it is making a return right but Uh, i think think paris's blessing that's very meaningful yeah so so you're right the it's not just the pop culture icons of the aughts having a renaissance but i think like all trends coming back like we're definitely seeing um gen zers bringing back these um lower back tattoos and low-rise jeans and flared jeans and those little um, newsboys caps maybe no Um, where's your proof of that (laughs) okay i don't have a proof of that but that's what i think will come next um anyways i think we've kind of talked about this or we've written about this in some of our many good pop culture pieces um is that the uh, biggest pop culture trend of 2021 that we decided a, a great way to be lazy is just to write these back and forth conversations about pop culture news it's not lazy it's creative You're it's right. spontaneous it um no but we we wrote about uh paris hilton's major comeback as far as like getting married she's had multiple documentaries and television shows and netflix deals um in the last couple of years but this year just with her her wedding and capitalizing on that um i've been a a paris hilton fan for a long time but like I feel really vindicated and justified and happy for her and her success in 2021. I feel like really was the peak of Paris Hilton kind of coming back. So, yeah, I think the Paris Hilton wedding, we can probably just go ahead and call that the second pop culture story of the year because it was huge. It was this like, well, it was three days, right? The, this three day um, yeah. extravaganza, which really does justice to the word extravaganza that saw celebrities from every corner of the world coming into Los Angeles. She rented out the entire Santa Monica Pier <laughs> for this like neon bash. Um, she got married on 11-11, which if you follow Paris Hilton, you know how big of a deal and sentimental that is. Right. Um, and a lot of it was very like nostalgic. We saw Kim Kardashian holding her dress, posing for a photo, holding her dress. And Kim Kardashian is famously became famous by being Paris Hilton's uh, assistant, personal assistant and getting photographed in that capacity um, and sort of being out in the socialite scene in the mid aughts with her. But Madeline, is this sort of the function of we asked this question it, are we just seeing the inevitable arc of life play out for millennial celebrities? Is that what's happening? Was this always sort of an inevitability that they would settle down and stabilize um, and seem very happy? Um, or is something else happening? Is this, are they responding themselves to things in the culture? What did, what did you think of all of this sort of culminating? 
I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, this isn't necessarily inevitable. Um, I think what we wrote about or what I, the case I've made is that, um, they, they weren't necessarily taken serious. They established tabloid culture, right? Like Paris Hilton was the first celebrity to get trailed by paparazzis 24 hours, 24 seven, right? Like she invented the past internet tabloid culture because you know like like, donald trump was a tabloid star yeah yeah yeah. so not paparazzi but like yeah the internet tab like following celebrities right like e-news um influencers people who are famous for being famous exactly and Lindsay uh lohan was kind of in that and britney spears were kind of all in that same uh generation and like people following them in their lives in a way that people hadn't cared about celebrities before but in the 2000s they were kind of just taken advantage of i think by us and by the audiences and by the media and now what i was arguing is that this is kind of like their moment right so like instead of obviously e-news still is gonna write a headline anytime a kardashian breathes but like now (laughs) they're they are using it more to their advantage, not their advantage, but like they're in control. It seems right. Like Paris coming out with two doc, well, at least two documentaries like that she produced kind of on her own saying like, here's my story and here's how I see it. Um, And then obviously like Kim using all of her platforms to dominate the world in every facet, whether it's fashion or criminal justice reform or, running her own new reality show instead of just, you know, doing whatever Ryan Seacrest tells her to do. So I, I think it's, it's, I wouldn't have say this arc is inevitable, right? They could have just fallen off the map like any other B-list celebrity, A-list celebrity, whatever. But there, this is like a new moment, I think, where they, um, they're not just responding to the paparazzi or the media, they are controlling it and directing it, I think, in their own way. Yeah, this is there's a moment um, that stuck with me in the New York Times, uh, their Britney Spears documentary, which is part of a, a series that they have on Hulu, which I actually like quite a bit, um, where there's a picture of her and I went and looked it up. It's a paparazzi shot of her in a, in a T-shirt um, that says something like the American dream. I think it maybe just says the American dream on it. And it's, it's quite interesting because that's one of the things people loved about Britney Spears. And it's something that I think changed a little bit with the Kardashians and Paris Hilton in that Britney Spears is somebody who came from pretty literally nothing um Mm -hmm. small town in louisiana had this very all-american um aesthetic and uh way about her and attitude and personality and and all of that and i think partially that's why it was really tragic for the country to sort of follow along on her journey and the question then that was posed this year was are we participants in that tragedy or like did we shape that arc in ways that um could could have been prevented um and i think that's an interesting question i don't know i i don't have a good answer to it because on the one hand people like kim kardashian and her recent interview with barry weiss i think gets into this she's she's very has a very very correct stance and firm stance that she uh has everything because of the fandom and that comes with good and bad um and that is absolutely true i think she's probably more stable um and and can deal with it better than people who really grew up because she was what in her mid-20s 
when all of this mm-hmm. happened. And that's very different than having it happen to you when you're a teenager um, or in your early yeah. 20s and you're sort of uprooted from your family. And uh, so Because sort of at that point you. in your 20s, you're, you know, making career decisions, right? At some point, Kim Kardashian looked at her mom and said like, okay, let's do this. Let's sign the reality TV show versus like Britney right. kind of happened to her. Right, 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 right. Um, and and Kim Kardashian actually the the show came about when the sex tape was sort of circulating. Um, and it's kind of been like an inverse for her, <laughs> where she came from, you know, this ignoble type of background because that's what people knew her for, and then mm-hmm. uh, sort of became this uh, successful career woman and mom. And her early years were those gnarly Carl's Jr. Uh, right. <laughs> Carl's Jr. ads, um, which I actually asked. Uh, uh, Andy Puzder about once um, and <laughs> that they were they were wonderful to work with um, and, and that Chris and Kim were wonderful to work with but I think the question of whether and that's we can sort of transition with this because I do think that question of whether we have responsibilities just as human beings who are enjoying popular culture and celebrity celebrity <laughs> news um, Madeline is your dog a fan of Kim Kardashian Paris Hilton <laughs> I don't know what she's barking at. I'm sorry. I'm going to mute her. Is that the lab? Yeah. The mutt. Madeline has two, uh, two wonderful dogs. One is more wonderful than the other. Um, but I think that's a, I think it raises a good question, but I think also what it's led to, and this is a good transition point, is this total overcorrection um, that has really harmed our culture in that Perez Hilton is now deeply apologetic and basically acts as like a propagandist for celebrities. <laughs> and like, these are all, like, E is just a PR network for celebrities. Do they occasionally break stories that are negative for celebrities? Absolutely. Um, and so their, twi- their Twitter feed is an abomination. It's- like, I'm sorry. It's so bad. No, their Instagram too. And the effect of it. And I would be surprised if they ever wrote anything negative about anyone or broke any news whatsoever. Well, yeah. And of course the Kardashians are a different story because they're like property of E. Um, but (laughs) yeah, they're going to Peacock now, but it's all NBC universal, I believe. But, um, but, but the point is they, um, it's, what this does is it gives celebrities totally undue power over our culture because it this is like when they do something when they send a woke tweet whatever it is they see that as public relations for themselves it's all very calculated and so then to get a flood of clickbait coverage like Chrissy Teigen is the best example of this and her cancellation is absolutely one of the top pop culture stories of 2021 you have this unearned cultural power that gets you deals like the one she had with Target that are incredibly lucrative and this right. coverage it's a feedback loop that just is in its celebrities enriching celebrities because we've let the pendulum swing from Perez Hilton drying dicks on people's faces in 2006 to just like fawning coverage every time a celebrity puts out a vaguely woke tweet and it happens with obesity it happens with trans issues these uh, corporate entertainment publications will just sort of reflexively seal type clap with everything um, I, I honestly don't understand how they can seriously describe things as stunning or brave anymore when that's like if they were to say anything that was actually opposing to like mainstream opinion or the you know the approved opinion of the elites then they would just get canceled flat out like no problem you know i just don't understand how they can seriously like keep continue to reward you know what they say 
like the Chrissy Teigen stuff, right? Like anything she comes out for is like, oh, like it's so like, like awesome that she's standing up for this. It's like standing up for what? Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's not standing up for anything. It's just exactly what you all believe. Right. It's so annoying. I know it's a very obvious point, but it's just so annoying. Yeah. So like a bit of, so th- what happened with Chrissy Teigen is, uh, gosh, what's the name of the celebrity um, who accused her of bullying? I always forget her name because she's uh, Courtney Stodden. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's sort of sadly a, a footnote. Um, but Courtney Stodden accused with screenshots, I believe, uh, Chrissy Teigen of bullying her in DMs um, several years ago, basically telling her to go kill herself. Right, Madeline? Yes. Yeah. Um, and Chrissy Teigen has this sort of authentic image on social media where she's just her true self and you see and she's sassy. Yeah. And she's sassy and that makes her likable. She's like, she's the clapback queen. You'll never, you'll never believe what Chrissy Teigen said to the, these moms commenting on her Twitter. Yes. And it's just this, like, the public has to be on this emotional roller coaster with Chrissy Teigen through all of her faults. Like, but I think the big story about Chrissy Teigen is that um, she's just too online, capital T, capital O, in the way that a lot of people are too online. Um, and I think that's why when she sort of issued her apology, she was like, I'm taking, she's quit Twitter, like, how many times? Like, three times oh, or something? Yes. And it's, it's just like, at some point we have to all agree that this is not Chrissy Teigen's authentic self that it's it's partially you're seeing a little bit of Chrissy Teigen but this is also sort of managed um and there are also business kind of ideas behind it or business aspirations behind it and secondly like she's what we do see with her the authentic part of this is that she reads all of her hate tweets she 100 really that's up. why she's clapping back you know right. and it's funny that she has you know i think it says a lot about her how many times she's come out and said hey guys like i after thinking about it like i'm gonna get off twitter forever like quit instagram forever and we're like okay awesome thank you and, <laughs> and she does for you know a month and then she slinks back and is suddenly tweeting again <laughs> And I think that says so much about like who she, like not who she is, but like her status as a celebrity is that she literally doesn't exist without Twitter, right? No one literally cares what Chrissy Teigen is doing at all. She's never doing anything interesting um, or funny or creative. She's not an interesting she, person. She's only married to John Legend. That's literally her only claim to fame. Like well, that she and used a, to be pretty hot. Uh, and being a Sports Illustrated model, but she's not even that anymore. And so without Twitter... She's nothing. And so that's why she keeps coming back. And that's why it says so much like without the E news headlines that say like, look at Chrissy, look at this like very vulnerable picture that Chrissy Teigen posted postpartum on Instagram, like without that stuff, she has nothing. And so that's why she keeps coming back. And right. then now, I don't know what she's doing now, if, she, if she's really canceled or not, but who knows. Well, so when she was, like, actually really canceled, um, and it, it it felt serious because she lost her Target deal, and she, I mean, she looked horrible. Um, when that actually happened, she posted this long letter type thing, basically, or like a notes, something like that. But basically going into what sounded like a clear tech addiction that pretty much everybody who's 
to online has. And like, this is one of the reasons I think, um, we talk about this a lot. Like technology is probably the most important issue in politics and culture period. And what I thought was useful about Chrissy Teigen's, um, sort of fall from grace is that it seemed, it reminds me so much of Mitt Romney's, uh, burner account, because here you have two very powerful, very, very wealthy people. They cannot even resist trolling on Twitter in their spare time. That Same is- with Kev- Kevin Durant. He got caught yes. with his burner account too. <laughs> but that's like amazing to me. It's one thing for average people to have burner accounts because they don't want to get in trouble at work and you know they probably like they don't have huge platforms, so it's just sort of cathartic to uh, you know s- troll on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But for like extremely powerful people to not be able to resist saying their dumb clapbacks like Mitt Romney was tweeting at like meet the press and like news outlets no Um, Jennifer Rubin Jennifer Rubin yeah he was tweeting at Jennifer Rubin and Chrissy Teigen's just like actually sending um her haters after like random people who don't like her and so it's funny because they these especially maybe not as much like Mitt Romney he just has probably a not very good comms team but like you know, Chrissy Teigen and Kevin Durant have paid publicists who this is their job is to work on their public image. Like they don't need to be doing tweeting things from their burner accounts or even Chrissy Teigen doesn't even use a burner account, but sticking her mob, like she doesn't need to do that to protect her public image. Like, she has paid professionals who do that for her already. But I think that is her public image, right? Like she made money off being a excuse the language again, like a bitch on social media Um, and just treating average people that way. I mean, it's just like, it's so, I mean, it's just not fun. It's punching down. It's silly, but it's what she sort of built her image on. And all of these entertainment news outlets applauded her in the process when they actually should have been critical of her. And they do this. This is how they mainstream ideas. Like if you look on, and I have a collection in my camera roll of times that like the E! News Instagram has been super approving of like i don't know trans issues is a really good one or uh, like various other political topics and it's like this is how you're mainstreaming it um and it is really really powerful um but you know chrissy Teigen seems to already be making a comeback as we all expected because she has tons of friends in hollywood and she's married to someone that's really powerful and well liked um so it's not we have not seen the last of chrissy Teigen by any means sad We're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the principled and tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. The Economist recently reported American philanthropy is going woke and predominantly funding liberal causes. Do you want to help counterbalance this influence? If so, consider listening to Giving Ventures. It'll give you an idea of the liberty-minded organizations working to erase the heavy hand of government so individuals can prosper and thrive. Giving Ventures is a new podcast designed to help donors and prospective donors discover new opportunities to change the world for the better. Twice a month, the Giving Ventures podcast highlights several nonprofit efforts efforts, initiatives, and projects that leverage private philanthropy to solve public problems. Giving Ventures was joined recently by former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, now president of Young America's Foundation, where, in full disclosure, I also work, who shared with us what he's doing to preserve President Reagan's legacy and instill in future generations a similar love of God and country. In an earlier episode, J.P. DeGance, president and CEO of Comunio, joined us to discuss what he's doing to strengthen marriages across the country. 
Elementary. And Nikki Neely, president of Parents Defending Education, told us what she's doing to help parents engage with their local school boards. The show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor-advised fund helping conservative and libertarian givers simplify, protect, and grow their giving. The team at Donors Trust regularly engages with policy groups, student organizations, academic centers, and civil society nonprofits that endeavor to limit government, grow personal responsibility, and strengthen free enterprise. If you care about the principles of liberty, and if charitable giving is an important part of your life, Giving Ventures is the podcast for you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and catch up on the latest episode by visiting donorstrust.org slash podcast. That's donorstrust.org slash podcast. What's, what would you say is your next, uh, your next pop culture story 2021? Um, I would say this might, you might disagree, but I feel like, um, Olivia Rodrigo was kind of a, a pretty big story this year. Like at least mm-hmm. making her, her, her name for herself, her album did really well. I really liked it. And then of course her, uh, white house appearance, um, being asked to do that. I feel like people were like, I don't know who you are, but now they do. Um, so that's another one. Let me think. I think that I think that's a good one. She like she she had a pretty meteoric rise to like super superstardom. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It went really fast. Um, definitely like the Olympics. Simone Biles drama. I was oh, so sick that's of. A good one. I was so sick of the Simone Biles stories. But I mean, I think it was definitely pretty big being on the world stage. Um, that's that is a really good one um because it was also one of those it's one of those like Rorschach tests where you you either see the like weakening of the american spirit in it or you see the like you see this sort of strength and weakness um and it was just giving the debate i'm on (laughs) It was really, yeah, we can, but we can guess. Um, it was really telling because like it was so, the media was so quick to take a side. Right. So that's how we knew it was. It's like, like you said, a test because it was very headlines immediately were like, this is about like black women, mental health. And like, if you were against that, then like you were out, you know, it was just very draw lines were drawn very quickly, which I guess you could argue happens in every pop culture story these days. Um, but it was just a flood of it from every corner of mainstream media. That's such a good point. Cause it's another really good example of like Simone Biles could have been, if, if the media had taken a different side or just taken no side, her endorsement deals would have been totally affected um, in a different way. Instead, she probably, probably uh, became more valuable to the like C-suite executives that are looking for um, people to endorse their products, et cetera, et cetera, because of the way she was treated by the media, which is like conditioning the public to see this as a good thing. And of course, some people are never going to see it as a good thing. But like, I think that's why some of these stories in the era of social media just become absolutely huge, runaway, viral, talking uh fodder for like the the uh the the virtual water cooler which no longer exists let alone in the the pandemic is because some of them when they are so nebulous or that you can really like latch on to both sides of it and have a good conversation um on, on social media it's not a good conversation it's a terrible conversation and people are just so easily sucked into it um but the the establishment always seems to take one side yeah, exactly. It was it was very obvious. Um, another 
story, we can get to Kravis in a minute because that's the next big celebrity couple. But one I forgot about that we wrote about is Benefer 2.0. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's huge because that also goes back to what we were just talking about with the aughts making yes. another comeback, you know? That's a great point. That's a great point. This, this Thank is you. Huge Thank you, story. Emily. You, you're so welcome, Madeline. Um, this is a huge, huge, huge story, and it's the same thing. It's the aughts nostalgia, the uh, pictures from the, <laughs> the Jenny from the Block music video. Oh, my gosh. So they were, it was so in- obvious and intentional. It was amazing. The memes were, yeah, the memes were amazing. The The self-awareness of our celebrities was amazing, especially somebody like Ben Affleck, who I actually... So should, was- should I explain this briefly about the yacht and the paparazzi? Please. Please do. So the Jenny from the Ben Affleck was in Jennifer Lopez, Jenny from the Block music video in, I don't know what, like 2002. Um, Yeah, somewhere around there. um, And the whole storyline, I don't think they, yeah, they were dating at that point. Yeah, they were, they were. Um, The whole storyline of this music video is that they're being followed by paparazzi. (laughs) um, And you see these pictures of... um, like them on a yacht and the paparazzi zooming in on them laying on the deck. And then, um, there's this, another one where it's a video there. The paparazzi is watching, a, I guess, Jennifer giving Ben Affleck this watch or vice versa. Yes. Yes. Um, which sounds like a minor detail, but it's very important to modern day context. Um, anyway, so now flash forward to 2021 and they, you know, they're dating Jennifer J-Lo breaks up with um, A-Rod. I guess he was allegedly cheating on her. I don't know if that was ever confirmed. Um, Anyway, so they break off their engagement. And they've been dating for a while, I feel like. Um, But anyways, and then so now that it's public that Ben Affleck and J-Lo are back together, they basically recreate these paparazzi shots from the music video. Like they're spotted on a boat. And then... (laughs) He is where they're spotted at a game. I feel like a basketball game on the sidelines. And if you zoom in on his wrist, he is wearing the watch that she <laughs> gave him in this music video. And it's just insane that like through his intent to think about his entire marriage with Jennifer Garden and having three children, he had that watch somewhere like it is, it is amazing. stuck in a box or I don't know, maybe he wore it, but insane, insane. Truly. Um, and again, it's a Benifer was one of those moments, like seismic moments in pop culture in the early 2000s, because that was they are actually the first Benifer. I think the people started referring to Benifer 2.0. Maybe I have this backwards, but I'm pretty sure Brad and Jen was after. Um, I I think not that they were. I mean, obviously they had been a couple. I, that before, makes sense. But when they, when the divorce happened and when the rumors started to like, the rumor really started to amp up, I think that's when that was like the, the second couple that was also a benefit. Right. <laughs> Brad and Jennifer. Um, but that was when we started to like really. Are they, the, are they, did they invent couple names? Is that what you're saying too? <laughs> yes, clearly. Uh, but it, it's, but it's a, how like the internet changed the way that we talk. I feel like that's what, you know, you, you have right. like the older people at the time just rolling their eyes. Like, how is this a news story? Why are sure. we? But it was something that was kind of, and I actually think this is true of a lot of celebrity news, um, especially like influencer stuff. People 
it's a it's a sort of a substitute a bad substitute for community and for like mass culture um, mass media when we can all attach ourselves to a story that people kind of understand in ways that are that feel like shorthand that we all get um, because we don't necessarily have that um, I think the same thing about true crime by the way I feel like we're all just grasping for meaning and this uh, <laughs> not to get deep but with, with, like the the reason that true crime is exceedingly popular right now is because we're all just sort of floating in this like this very uh purposeless or what feels like obviously it's not purposeless but with people sort of floating in this purposeless um existence it's sort of an easy way to feel purpose and to feel uh productive even while you're just scrolling tiktok or sitting on a couch binging netflix you think you're like solving a crime you're not gonna solve the crime but it's sort of you're it's stimulating um it's sort of mentally stimulating in a way that feels purposeful to like care about i feel like crime has always been kind of like a rubbernecking thing though like yeah yeah if it bleeds it leads like it's gonna be popular no i think that's totally true i and like i think people that are like getting like myself um too deep into trying to demystify the the i think the podcast and the streaming series and the the docuseries are just the perfect medium for true crime and now that those have reached their peak in the golden age then that's kind of why there's so many those types of true crime shows well the other thing is i don't think tiktok is a particularly good medium for true crime tiktok by the way is evil but it is a uh but it it has taken off also on tiktok um oh really i didn't know this Dude, I'm not on TikTok. TikTok expert. <laughs> no, I'm not on TikTok. I had a TikTok for like, I was a, an original TikToker before yeah. it was mainstream. But then once I learned it was a CCP listening device, I deleted it. Yeah. But no, true crime has like taken off on TikTok. Um, and so I was, this was one of the broader things I was going to say is that this sounds like a very millennial uh, centric recap of major pop culture moments, because for Gen Z, the big pop culture moments would probably be about influencers and like spats between influencers that yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't begin to understand because Gosh, YouTubers, YouTube beefs, TikTok beef beefs with these like 10 different layers. And this is I, I'm saying I think this, the, the YouTubers kind of chilled out this year. It's not to go off topic, but well, um, they're on TikTok now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And like, I, I'm saying this not, uh, it sounds funny, but it's all true. Like these, these beefs are, have, have like 10 layers. They're really hard to get to the bottom to get to the bottom of if you're not just sort of like a regular consumer of major influencers. But it's a good example of how we're also sort of like splintering in that the sort of the death of mass media or the decline of mass media means that people in different demographics are consuming much different things. That's always been true, of course, right? Like younger people are always consuming and roll and like it's it's always been different but now it's different i think in ways that are becoming more and more siloed off from each other um and even within the younger sort of demographics there are different things that penetrated their media diets um and that's i think uh sort of making things really hard to follow yeah i'm sorry i was looking at my list um well the, i think the Krabis, as you, I didn't oh, yeah, know yeah. we were calling it that, but we can, okay, we, because that one is both, that one actually does, I think, bridge the, the sort of generational divide. Yeah. So Kravis is Kourtney Kardashian and, um, Travis Barker, the famous drummer of, uh, Blink 182. They've been dating actually for a while. Um, 
I think. Uh, so like the original backup, sorry to back up originally Travis Barker was Courtney Kardashian's neighbor. Um, they, he's appeared in several keeping up with the Kardashian episodes, like as the friendly neighbor. Um, and then I would say like over the last couple of years, it's kind of been this, I mean, there's always like Courtney and Scott Disick drama, but I've, I personally still had hope that they were going to get back together. And I think maybe that was still kind of in play, but maybe it wasn't at all. Um, and I think it was earlier this year when very, maybe the very beginning of the year when Courtney kind of like came out and made it publicly official that her and Travis are dating. Um, this whole year was kind of this whirlwind romance, um, very public PDA, um, making out all over Italy, um, basically for the paparazzi. Um, I think that's kind of how Travis has always been with all of his ex relationships, but, um, just for, to be doing that with a Kardashian, I think kind of blew everyone's mind and was huge for paparazzi and e-news culture. Um, and then fast forward to, I want to say it was like earlier this fall, maybe October, November when they actually got engaged. And so sad news for Scott and for all of us who were holding out, um, (laughs) for them, but, and sad for their kids, but it seems like everyone is managing it. Okay. Now maybe except for Scott. So, yeah. And and of course, throughout this whole thing, as far as like the engagement and dating and all that, the Kardashians have been filming for their new show. So we're definitely going to get to see more uh, next year when that first season comes out, I think. Well, yeah. And I feel like some people would probably include the end of Keeping Up with the Kardashians as one of the biggest stories of 2021. But it just wasn't. It like didn't. No, not did at all. Not. I couldn't even tell you what it how it ended. Yeah, it it well they did that special with Andy Cohen, um, and it just did not really hit anybody's radar because on the one hand we're so oversaturated with Kardashians, and we know that we always will be. Um, so like keeping up with the Kardashians, as we've talked about before, became very much this like secondary or tertiary vehicle almost for them to commoditize the mm-hmm. drama in their own lives. Um, but uh, and it's like, what could Andy Cohen really pull out of them that we don't already know? Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, there was some like good stuff um, about the early days that I still find really interesting. But um, yeah, it, Courtney and and Travis, I think take. I don't know. What's your theory for why this is such a popular couple? Because I don't understand why it's such a popular couple. I find they're like I love Courtney Kardashian is my favorite Kardashian. Um, I know. I yours? don't get. I, no, I don't get why you always say that. I just think she like but go ahead. Well, I just appreciate how Courtney doesn't care and doesn't in in like all of these different exchanges with her family, especially on the show, especially in the early days of the show, they're all sort of very intense and hyper careerist and Courtney just has this like stoicism that almost comes across as just being totally unbothered by the like swirl of paparazzi and fame and she wasn't of course unbothered by it. Um but I just enjoy how 
how she at least gives off that vibe when her family is going over the top constantly. Um, and I really liked Scott. Uh, I thought that was always like that was the most entertaining. Part I hated of the show. both. I hated both of them. But I don't know. I don't have any good theories for why um, Courtney and Travis work. The only thing I can think of is that from. I mean, obviously, I don't know. Everything is. Every, only what you see but from what i've read in sex scene i think travis is a pretty big family person yeah um and he even though he's had i think multiple marriages um or at least you know he has kids with one marriage and then he has step kids from another marriage and i i think he's still very close and very involved um and just keeps his family really tight and if there's one thing that we know about Courtney, like kind of going off of what you were just saying about her not really caring, that's kind of was, you know, a theme of the last few seasons of the Kardashians show is that like all of her other sisters are having these, you know, very successful makeup lines and careers and Courtney, I mean, now I guess you could say she's found her own niche with Poosh, her goop knockoff health website. But <laughs> nobody but, reads. But nobody reads. It's yeah. interesting. But um, all that to say, she all she straight up said, like, I don't care. I, all I want to be is a mom. Like, is that okay with you guys? And I don't think anyone was pressuring her, but it was just a point of tension, right? That she didn't have this. Um, she wasn't on the cover of, cover of Forbes like Kylie was, you know? Like, she just literally said, all I want to do is, like, be there for my kids and be a mom like be a full-time mom and so that's one reason one thing i can see i guess um her and travis kind of having that's their priorities are in the same place um it has been really funny to me though to see courtney kind of like take on her inner goth and like yeah. basically just had that in her she's always had it a little bit obviously way more than any of the others but it's just been funny to see her dating travis and her just embrace it wholeheartedly like black boots black leather black lipstick i don't know it's it's hilarious to me some headlines on poosh from today on the, the front page how to get out of a dry sex spell um, oh my gosh don't read these three ways to sustainably wrap presents um this one's good. The benefits of tongue scraping. Oh my god! <laughs> just read Goop. Seriously, if if this is your thing, just read Goop. It'll it'll be better. Um, yeah. So, Madeline, are there any? I, I think you touched on everything. I, I it just seems like such a such an unlikable couple from my perspective because the way that they're just like jamming each other's tongue, jamming their tongues down each other's throats in these paparazzi pictures, hanging out with um, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly who are doing the same thing. Uh, it does seem unlikable, but I think a lot of people really love Travis Barker, sort of a tragic figure um, from a lot of millennials' favorite bands, certainly, um, and a band that they sort of felt really close with, I think, if you if you go back. Yeah, it's it. weird. I think, I think they're really really like likable in a weird non-traditional way i don't know why it works but they seem most people seem to approve even like the hardcore scott fans i think yeah are okay yeah. are okay with it so any honorable mentions that you want to uh, put on the table before we wrap um i've got a few that aren't necessarily worth diving into but on my list were squid games mm -hmm. um white lotus was kind of like the summer uh and then sex in the city's return and then um kind of taylor swift's you know release of all her new music and dominating into that 
Yeah, I think the big ones we missed were Taylor Swift and Dell. And what's interesting is I think there's nostalgia actually for Gen Z, believe it or not, with Taylor Swift and, and Adele. Um, like, I think the the age that yeah. we were when Britney was uh, hitting her superstardom is the age that a lot of people in Gen Z were when it was happening to Taylor. Um, yeah. And so I think there's there's like this early wave of Zoomer nostalgia. Um, and probably Ott's fashion is uh, wrapped up in that too. But coming for both of those... Um, those are both, I think, huge stories um, and stories that we covered on The Federalist. So if, if folks want to read more, dive more into those, um, give it, give the, the brand new site uh, a search. The site looks great, don't you think, Madeline? Yeah, it's beautiful. Agreed. Well, we've gone on long enough, um, but hope you stuck with us because I think, you know, here and there we wandered into some interesting territory. Um, <laughs> Madeline Osborne and her dog, Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Emily. I look forward to what pop culture brings next year. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. You've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio I'm Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Today.